really pumped to be here, really excited, um, really excited to be here during the day when the sun is shining and not here uh, during the night when it's dark outside because uh, you may not know this, but it's not necessarily safe to be here, especially in this parking lot after dark, um, especially if you're a car. I'm going to show you this picture. It's going to pull up right here. Um, this, is, this is myself and Pastor Zach, uh, a group of us, Pastor Zach and uh, Doug and Pastor David all went to um, Gateway to Texas last week and this just most recent week. And we got back, we pulled in the parking lot, 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night, and we see our cars saran wrapped together. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought, I was thinking the same thing. It's real funny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love how you guys are laughing about this. I feel like this is a good moment. So I just want to give you a, a quick heads up, just a couple of notes to walk away with for today. Number one, don't leave your car here overnight. It's not safe, you know? If you gotta, if you gotta leave from here to go somewhere, get a ride, you know? That's number one. Number two, if you know who that was, please let me know. I just, I just want to have a conversation. I'm not, I mean, I'm not like, no wrath is coming or retribution. None of that. Just kidding. <laughs> um, if you don't, actually, if you don't follow our Instagram or our um, Christ Youth Men Instagram, you should do that. If you're on Instagram, it's fun. And we post stuff like that on there and make fun of each other. It's a blast. All right, so, um, man, it is, it is good to be here. You know, it's, it's crazy thinking about that trip and about just life in general and just thinking about life. I just feel like it's crazy. I mean, just... Sometimes it's just insane. Like, I'm guessing you guys are a lot like me. Like, I wake up 6, 6.30 every single morning, and I hit the ground running. Get ready really fast, get the family ready, get out the door, get to school, get to work. Just pour myself in here as much as I can. Go home, do sports, dinner, whatever. And depending on how many people we have over for dinner, it might be 10, 10 11 o'clock at night before we're done with the dishes. Is that... Sound familiar to anybody here? Yeah, I see some heads shaking up and down. Maybe a few. So I'm going to, I just, I feel like it's crazy. I watch our friends, the people that we're close with in our life, going through this. And it's, it's killing us. And, and so I, I guess what I want to do this morning is just talk about that a little bit. Just explore that for a few minutes. That, that idea that... Um, that this is just too much. And just unpack it. So I'm going to ask you some questions. This is an opportunity for the audience to participate in the sermon. This is dangerous because sometimes it goes well and sometimes it doesn't, but I do want you to participate. So if you're a shouter or a yeller or an amener or a hallelujah or whatever, then go ahead and do that in this moment. If you're, if you're not, just, just raise your hand. You know, if you, if you need to raise it like this or whatever because you're afraid to go all out, you know, then that's okay. Just... Do something, just to let, let me know what's going on in your life. So I'm going to ask you some questions, and this is your opportunity to either shout out or raise your hand or whatever. Okay, here we go. Um, how many of you here today would say that at some point this week, or even right now in this moment, would say, I'm worn out? Amen. Yeah? Okay. How about, how about tired? Yeah? Okay, I'm going to raise both of my hands on this one. Exhausted. 
Yeah, okay. Hello. Okay. It's getting serious. In first service, there was like a three-year-old child sitting over in this region. And I said, I said, how about you exhausted? And he goes, I am. It was awesome. As everybody just melted. So if we could get one of those, somebody could orchestrate that. That'd be great. Here we go. Um, okay. I don't know about you guys, but when I'm feeling those things, I am, I, I'm really struggling to manage all of the responsibilities and tasks of life. On a daily, weekly, monthly basis, they're just coming at me so fast, and like, I'm just forgetting stuff left and right because it's just too much to do it. How many of you are struggling to handle the task of daily, weekly, monthly life, just the amount of pressure? Yeah, how about this? How many of you would say you're too busy? Yeah? <laughs> Thank you. How about overwhelmed? Yeah. Okay, so, so um, I feel like we're getting somewhere. We gotta, we're building something. This is good. Let's just, keep, let's just keep going, all right? So my wife and I, we have this conversation, oh, I don't know, daily. We're uh, at 10.30 or 11 o'clock at night. I come to her and I'm like, babe, I am done. I am just done and you know what the next words out of my mouth are, right? Yeah, I'm either like, I'm going to bed, or let's, uh, let's pray, or um, let's do something meaningful to connect with each other. No, next words out of my mouth, I'm just going to be real. Next words out of my mouth are, hey, we should catch up on that show on Netflix. Would you start that while I grab a bowl of ice cream? Right? So, so that's, that's me. At the, end of a, at the end of a day, at the end of a week, at the end of a time, a season of busyness, uh, I just, man, I need my Netflix and my ice cream. And it's funny because it's kind of like Netflix and, and chilling, but it's totally different. But anyway, um, so, yeah, that just happened. Okay, so anyway, um, so what, we, what I do is I, I watch this show and I eat my ice cream and when I'm done, I actually feel worse than before it started. Like I felt like, I don't know why I felt like this, but I felt like for some reason watching this show and eating this ice cream was going to make me feel better. Make me like feel rested or like more alive. But I get done watching the show and I'm even more tired and like, I don't even, yeah, I'm just, you know, whatever that feeling is there after a massive bowl of Briar's ice cream, which is pretty awesome. And sometimes it'll make your day better. Most of the time, it doesn't. And I don't get it. I don't get it. Like, okay, just process this with me for a second. I'm telling myself like a million times, maybe if I just watch a better show, maybe if I just eat a better flavor of ice cream, then it might actually work, right? What is it for you? What's your Netflix and ice cream? This is your opportunity to participate. You may be sitting next to somebody that you don't want to know what you're about to do, but I want you to grab your WOFO, your worship folder, or your phone or something, and write down the answer to this question. If you're sitting by somebody, you don't want them to see this, write it really small, abbreviate it, do whatever you need to do, but just write it down. We need to do this as an exercise together, okay? So what's your Netflix and ice cream? Is it Netflix? Is it food? Is it shopping? Is it porn? 
Is it Facebook or Instagram? Is it drinking? Is it video games? Is it exercise? At the end of a long day, do you pour yourself even more into work? Do you go back to the office? Do you pull up that laptop and work some more? Or do you in vain go to the empty well of religion? I'm going to say something here, friends. I think we all have a Netflix and an ice cream. If you weren't brave enough to write it down on your paper right now, then write it down on your heart. Hang on to that for just a second because we're going to need that later. You know what's interesting is I feel like we go, we go to those things because we feel like they're going to give us rest. They're going to refill us, refuel us, recharge us. But it always ends up wrong. Something just doesn't work. We end up feeling more empty, more alone. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pose a, um, oh, I don't know what the best way to describe this would be, but just a concept here. And, um, and then I'm going to prove it to you, and you're all going to agree with me, and it's going to be great. Okay, so here we go. Um, I'm going to say it like this. You're, when, you're, when you're feeling some Netflix and ice cream, it's not that you're, you're tired, it's that your soul longs for connection. It's not that you need more disconnection, more alone time, more uh, let me do me right now. It's your soul is really saying, I'm thirsty and I need a drink. So write this down too, if you're writing this stuff down. If you're not writing it down, you can just stare at me awkwardly. But if you're writing it down, that's cool. Um, write this down. Your soul is thirsty for connection. All right, I'm going to prove it to you. All right, go to John chapter 4. We're going to dig in here for a few minutes. We're going to talk about this kind of like we talk about it in the station sometimes. Um, we're going to read a little bit and talk about it, read a little bit, talk about it, read a little bit, and talk about it. When we're done, you're going to agree with me. It's going to be awesome. Just wait. All right, here we go. So um, let me set this up for you just in case this is a new story for you. Some of this, this is old news. Uh, some of you, this is new stuff. So we're in John chapter 4. We're getting ready to talk about the first ever time in recorded history where we meet the first ever desperate housewife. You ready for this? Some of you, that was a little uncomfortable. I just, we're just getting started. Just go ahead and strap in. It's coming, okay? All right, so here we go. Jesus is traveling from the southern region to the northern region, and he has to go through this area called Samaria. Jews don't like Samaritans. They think they're half-breeds. They hate them. In fact, they've like attacked them from time to time, and they try to burn their stuff down. It's bad. Let me just say it like this. If all of that just kind of went, you know, and you didn't catch any of that, let me just say it like this. Jesus is in a gang. It's like the Christians. They're a gang. And Jesus had to walk through another hood where there's a rival gang. And when he was walking through there, he stopped at a gas station, and he was sitting there all by himself. And this lady comes up, who's like a desperate housewife, we established this already, and um, they have this interaction. And this is where we learn about the thirst of our souls for connection. So, are we, are we good? I feel like we're good. Okay, I think we're good. All right. So, this lady, she walks up, and the first thing Jesus says to her is, it's in uh, verse uh, 7, chapter 4, verse 7, says, Give me a drink. Now let me just, just take a time out real quick and talk to the fellas. Hey, fellas, if you're a dude and you're in here right now and you're trying to get a girl, 
or you're trying to keep a girl, it's not a good idea to talk to her like this. Okay? Just don't be demanding and, like, rude. Like, it's really simple. I'm going to tell you why. You're not Jesus. Okay? <laughs> Women who give Jesus a little bit of room here, let to order them around, not you. Okay? So just remember that. Little side nugget. Just remember, use your manners. All right. Here we go. Moving on. So um, the lady's like, lady, the lady's like, I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew, what are you talking about? Basically, we could translate that as, you don't know me. That's how she responds to him, right? And, and so Jesus, Jesus is like, if you knew, this is verse 10, the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Okay. This is a really cool moment. I love these scriptures, these passages. For those of us that are Christians, that are followers of Jesus, this means a lot. There's like so much meat in this passage, right? Like he's so beautifully articulate and pithy and all this kind of stuff. You know, we, we think like they're so, this is so cool. If you're a first century Samaritan woman walking up on a strange Jew at a well, I'm guessing you're not thinking that. You're, you walk up on a guy and he's like, hey girl, I got living water. And she's like, oh, I bet you do. Boy, you better back that thing up. You know, like, you better just, whoa, living water? I mean, what would you think if somebody came up to you and said, I got living water? Yeah? That doesn't sound like a good idea to take that in. Am I wrong? She didn't know at this point what he's talking about. So she's like, how are you going to do that? How are you going to get water? You don't even got a bucket or a cup or nothing. So Jesus responds, he says, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst, but the water, that water will give him a, well, I'm sorry, well, how did I, got, I got skipped, but the water that I will give him, there we go, will become in him a well of water springing up in eternal life. So, excuse me about that, sorry. So, it was already weird, we're talking about living water, now we're talking about wells springing up inside of us and shooting out water, like Jesus, come on. She's got to be super confused. She has no idea what you're talking about. But, you know, she's like, shoot, I don't know. I don't want to come here to this well anymore if I don't have to. If I can take a drink of something and never have to thirst again, then shoot, I'll take it. Let, let, bring it out, Jesus. Let's try this. And Jesus decides at this moment in the conversation to switch everything up. To stop talking about this physical thirst thing and to talk about this thirst in our souls it's so, it's so crazy. So he says, so go, go call your husband and come here. And she, you know, she's like, well, um, what had happened was um, we, uh, I don't have a husband. And he's like, you're right. You have correctly said you have no husband. Here we are in 18. For you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not even your husband. This you have said truly. See why I said desperate housewife? Okay, so um, this, is, this is that moment where we figure out, we learn what this woman's well is that she goes to to drink from. For me, that might be Netflix and ice cream or Lowe's. Lowe's is bad. If you ever talk to me and I say I'm going to Lowe's, stop me. It's out of control. I am out of control. Um, so, so, um, so what does she do? She, she's like, wait a second, it just got real. We're talking about 
this part of me that I don't really want to talk about. Like, I don't want to talk about my heart. That's uncomfortable. Don't go there, Jesus. Hang on just a second. Let me change the subject. You want to talk about my heart. Let's talk about something intellectual so we can, like, have a conversation like two grown adults when you're really about ready to just crumble my heart into pieces and put it all back together again. So she's like, hey, clearly you're, like, a really smart dude, maybe a prophet. Uh, Should we worship here on this mountain or should we worship over in Jerusalem? And this is that moment for me that I'm, I'm not expecting. Like, I was a little bit, like, caught off guard that he's in Samaria in the first place and that he's sitting at a well and he's talking to a woman. And I'm sure she's caught off guard by the whole thing, too. And it's kind of weird. But this moment, this is when things get crazy. This is when, for me, this is one of those moments where the entire idea of religion just gets completely turned upside down and we hear something new called the gospel of Jesus Christ that actually means something, that can actually answer that question for you, that can actually give you a drink of something that will quench that thirst in your soul. And so he says, woman, believe me, an hour is coming. This is verse 21. When neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, and we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now Then, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Now watch this carefully. This is one of the craziest half a sentences in all of the Bible. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. I'm going to say that again. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Did you hear that? (laughs) She she comes here not knowing what's going to happen, this desperate housewife. Probably one of the absolute worst social cases in all of the Gospels. Like, in terms of how much other people look down on you, she might be number one. And if she's not number one, she's definitely in the top five. She shows up to the well at a middle, in the middle of the day so that nobody will judge her and look down on her. And she walks up, and not only does she see a Jew, it's a dude who checks her in here. And suddenly, she's caught a glimpse of what might actually answer the question that she's been asking through five marriages and a sixth man. Excuse me. (laughs) I just can't believe Jesus is standing in front of this woman who is so culturally and socially minute and minuscule and gives her one of the greatest revelations provided in all of the Gospels. I mean, he literally says to her, I am here for you. You came here to get a drink because you were thirsty, and I came here for you. (laughs) It's amazing. It's amazing to me that he came here for her, and it gives me hope. 
Because that might mean if he came here for her, then maybe he came here for me too. Maybe he came here for you this morning, friend. This is the moment when the gospel gets crazy. Like, I don't see, like, you got to watch this thing carefully, you know, because crazy stuff happens. So I, I, I think it's pretty clear that God longs to connect with you. I think it's, I, th- I think we may have even at this point established that we all have a thirst in our soul for something greater than Netflix and ice cream or your fill-in-the-blank. And that the answer to that question or the, the thing that will actually quench that thirst isn't a thing, but it's a person and it's a connection with that person. I think that's what he just said. God understands that desperate longing of your soul for connection. He wants to be there connected with you in that place. Isn't that cool? <laughs> I think it's so awesome. The Bible actually says, Revelation 3.20 says, as Jesus speaking says, I stand at the door and knock, and those who will open the door, I will come in, and I will accuse them and judge them and shame them and tell them all their sin in their life. No. No, it doesn't say that. It says, and I'll sit down with them and eat a meal like a friend. (laughs) Oh, man, that is good. God wants to meet you in that place and connect with you and answer that question and quench that thirst. We were built for connection. It's another one of those fill-ins. We were built for connections. 1 Corinthians 12 Verses 20 through 25 paint this incredible picture of uh, just a body made up of all these different parts. Friends, everybody needs a head. Everybody needs a brain and soul, a spirit leading it. And then everybody needs, everybody needs these parts to work properly. And God is saying to us in this passage that we need each other. Not only do we need him, do we, we need con- the answer to the question is him, but it's also us. It's this. It's dinner at your house that you haven't invited me to yet, but I'd love to come. It's um, where we talk about Jesus a little bit, you know? Maybe pray, eat your food that you prepared. Um, It's good. And um, have a good time. But we need that. We need each other. That's probably, actually, if there's one kind of prevailing theme that's most... um, that's said the most in the New Testament, it's this concept of the one another's. We've talked about it from this platform before. We need one another. There is nothing in this life that we can do apart from one another. We need it. So God longs to connect with you. We are built for connection. And so now, I'm, this is the point in the sermon where it's like, if this, if this was the six things that you can do to connect with God, um, I would have written a book about that already. I would have, have like a boat and an airplane, and I would be probably somewhere else right now. 
but there's not like six things, these six things you can do to connect, to stay connected to God, stay connected to each other. But I am going to give you like six or eight ideas of ways in which I and others I've known in my life connect with him and connect with others in a way that um, helps him, helps me, helps me uh, overcome the Netflix and ice cream from time to time. So James 4.8 says, um, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And so I, I don't know how else to say this other than to just say, you got to spend a long time with him. You need some G time, some God time in your life. And I don't know what that's going to look like for you. If you don't have that already, um, don't listen to uh, maybe the next few things that I'm about to say. If you already have this, then I want to tell you the kind of the, the four myths of a quiet time, just to shatter all those religious implications that are laid on us by whoever those religious people are. Anyway, um, so um, here's the four myths of a quiet time, that they must, it must happen between 4 a.m. and 6 a.m. That's not true. You don't have to get up early to love Jesus, okay? Um, number two, it must be an hour long. That's also not true. If you only get 20 uh, minutes with Jesus today, that's okay. That's what you needed. Number three, your prayers, your journal, it has to sound like the Bible. You know, like all eloquent, like the Psalms or something. No. God wants you to be you with him. So you just talk to him, just listen to him. I guarantee he's got something he wants to say to you. And the, the last one, number four, that it must be every day. What if you miss? Should you carry around shame and guilt for eternity? No. Just pick it back up tomorrow. Or the next day. But you've got to have time with him if you want it to work. One of the ways I spend time with God myself is in my car, listening to worship music. You guys probably don't know this because I'm normally a first servicer, but I like to worship. Um, I, I have trouble standing still when the music starts. I'm a clapper, a hand raiser, all that kind of stuff. I know I make some people uncomfortable. I'm sorry. But I do that in my car when I'm traveling from place to place. I worship. I'm sure people are looking at me weird, but I don't care. I'm not watching them. I'm worshiping. A lot of times when I'm waiting to meet with someone, I will pull out the Bible app. If you don't have that, you should. It's pretty awesome. In fact, Mickey was up here with like a real Bible earlier and made me feel kind of guilty. Like I haven't looked at a real Bible in a while. Um, but anyway, this can be incredible for you in that 10 minutes or 15 minutes that you're sitting waiting for something. To read his word and to listen to what he's trying to say to you in your life. We all got those moments every day. It's just kind of an in-between time. Use that time. Connect with him. So we need, we need time with him alone. We need time with, with family, with him. God's word is sprinkled with the implications that we need our family, our, our, the mother and father and daughter and son and however yours looks or whatever, to be together with him. You know, my family... We pray together. Um, we spend time together talking about our faith. And can I just tell you that some of the most incredibly amazing experiences that I have ever had with God are times when my 13-year-old son is praying or when my 14-year-old daughter 
or sorry, my 14, my four-year-old daughter is praying. She's not going to be 14 anytime soon. Don't let that happen. Man, it just brings tears to my eyes to hear the kinds of things they pray about. Try that. It may not work for you. Again, this isn't these six things. These are just some things to try. Pray together. Talk about your faith together. Do that together with your, your intimate, your closest family. And then the last one is we need time with community with him. You know, um, this is one of my favorite things because I firmly believe that Christ distributes courage through community. And I think that he dissipates doubts through fellowship. I think the reason that we read one another, one another, one another, one another so many times in the New Testament is because he wants us to do life together. And we, he, we need that in here. And so I'm asking you to do that. We have, a, my wife and I live over in an area of town called Crown Heights. It's over kind of by Douglas and Oliver. And we have some friends that live around us, um, close people. Um, you know, like besties, you know, you know that term. Um, and we spend a lot of time together, but at least once a week, we get together and we have dinner together. And we talk about our highs and our lows. I don't know if you guys have ever tried this before. It's basically just one good thing from your week and one bad thing from your week. And it's the, probably one of the, the best times of my week where I get to listen to and share in the struggles of my friends, and support and encourage them. And they support and encourage me when I'm struggling. And we get to celebrate together the joys and the, and the happiness that we're experiencing in different areas. It is so life-giving. Thirst, quenching. I don't know what it's going to look like for you I don't know how you're going to spend time alone with him or with your family with him or with your friends or your community with him, but I'm just going to tell you right now, friend, do that. If you're not doing that, do that. Get in a small group. Start having dinner with some people. Invite me over for a free dinner, you know, like whatever it takes, but we'll do that. I, uh, I think I love this, I love this passage, this story in John chapter 4, and I just want to come back to it real quick as we close. I'm going to just say that in conclusion. Research shows us that 65% of your audience reconnects when you say the words in conclusion, conclusion, conclusion. Do we got everybody? Okay, good. All right, here we go. God chose one of the most socially unaccepted people in the first century to share the revelation that he is here for you with. God chose a desperate housewife to lay that one on. And I don't know if you have been married five times and I, I, I don't know if you watch way too much Netflix from 10.30 to 11.30 at night before you can not keep your eyes open uh, anymore. I don't know what it is. I don't know what your fill-in-the-blank was. But God wants to come into that place with you 
to. God wants to meet that need. He wants to meet that need today. If you finish, if you keep reading the story, there's like another little story in between the rest of the story. But if you go flip down a little bit further in John chapter 4, you hear the story of the Samaritan woman, the desperate housewife, going back to her town and just letting everybody know that, you know, what just happened. I mean, she is just telling everyone how incredible this man is. How much it's changed her life and how she wants them to come. And the Bible says multitudes came out to see Jesus in the wilderness. Just let's do this one more time. Most socially unacceptable woman probably in the entirety of the New Testament or one of is used by the Savior of the world to communicate the message that God is here for you, and she does, and multitudes of people come out and get saved. Isn't that incredible? So it doesn't matter where you're at right now. It doesn't matter how much Netflix you're watching. It doesn't matter what you're going through in here. It doesn't matter how you're trying to quench that thirst. God wants to use you today. This, uh, this time they spent with Jesus, they come back and they, they, uh, they're like, will you stay another day? Will you stay another day? They end up having like a two-day revival with Jesus because they're just so amazed by him. So I, I, I want to I ask you, do you need that? Do you need that time with your Lord this morning to quench that thirst? that you've been trying like over a million times, maybe in just different variations to try to quench, but it's not working? Or is God touching a different spot inside of you? Is he calling you out right now in this moment to take your story and your message to your neighborhood and shine his light? I don't know. I don't know what's going on in you right now. But I want to talk about it, and we can talk about it right up here. I have a feeling that there might be somebody in here that wants to make a commitment to him for the first time, too. So just out of respect for them, I'm going to ask everybody to close their eyes and bow their heads. If that's you today, if this, if this message that you're hearing, maybe the first time that you're hearing it, or the first time you're really hearing it, or it's finally making sense and you want to commit to him, you want to give him your life because he came for you. Will you raise your hand right now? Just put it up. Praise God. Praise God. Let me pray for them. Father, we just thank you so much for the work that you're doing in the hearts of your children in this place and in this moment. God, I thank you for sending your son to come and teach us so much about how we should live to, to answer our questions and to show us that we can have our thirst quenched by you. Because you seek us. <laughs> so amazing. Father, I pray that... Uh, 
in this time of worship that we're about to enter into, that you would pour out your spirit in this place, that you would cement the things that need to be cemented, that you would strip out the things that need to be stripped out inside of our hearts, and that you would come and quench our thirsts for connection with you. God, we need you so bad. We're so broken and need you so bad. Will you come? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.